Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Show Marnie, California will set you free. Marnie, we're so excited to have you on the Lucy and Annabelle show. I am so excited as not only a avid fan of you both, but an avid fan of this show. Very exciting, very surreal. All the to way be from here. England. All the way from England. I know. Nine p.m. for me. What is it for you? One p.m. One. Yeah. Did you have to leave the pub for this or? <laughs> no, I didn't. I just had a really hot curry though. And I had to stand outside like, because <laughs> I was like, why did I do that? Right before going on a podcast that is visually recorded. So if I you're going to get the, you're going to get the <laughs> Digimarias. You look like you're glowing. You look dewy. <laughs> yeah, let's call it you that. You do, babe. <laughs> I know how much money you spend on makeup, so maybe next Thank time you. just have a cousin instead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have a curry oh. and like a packet of Rizzler to just like yeah. jumping down <laughs> the sort of horror. Oh my God. Do you remember anyone? You as well. You're looking at me like I mean, <laughs> you're here too. Um, <laughs> when those things came out that were like a little like grease patch that you could like dab yeah. your... yeah. Blotting paper. Dab your face with. Oh, yeah, blotting paper. I had so many of those in my bag in high yeah, school. Just for, like, all of the grease. They were the coolest. It's just Rizzler. Take a little contact it's just Rizzler. Out and just do this. Is it actually yeah. just Rizzler? Yeah, that's all Rizzler you need. Is. Like, like rolling paper. Oh. Oh. Oh, yeah. well, I've got plenty of that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she knows. Um, wow. I am the only American in this conversation, so you'll have to bear with me if I don't know a lot mm. of your inside lingo. You're a spiritual Brit. Also, I'm talking a little funny today because uh, <laughs> I hurt my mouth really badly this week. Yeah, not only did you hurt your mouth, I think it's gone rancid. I'm I not think gonna... <laughs> my mouth is going to fall off. <laughs> what did you do? I was flossing my teeth, right, with one of those little handheld flossers. And yeah. it got stuck in my back tooth. So I stuck my finger in my mouth to hook it and pull it out. And when I yanked it, my nail tore the whole inside oh. of my cheek all the way to where my lips meet. And so now it won't heal and I can't eat. And I've been eating through a straw, just protein smoothies for two days now. I was actually so. going to say you look really skinny. Yeah, welcome. Congratulations. Thank you. And so today, if I'm lisping a little bit like this, talking out of the side of my mouth, that's why. So, you know. There's a comedian, an Irish comedian called Dara O'Brien, who does a sketch about the idea that we're made in God's image and how he has certain moments in his life where he feels so entirely undivine that it's impossible that we're made in God's image and one of those is the moment where you go to eat food and you're so hungry you chew through your own face and then you can't <laughs> eat for like two weeks or whatever so I feel like you've you are undivine oh, Lucy Walsh whatever not I important love that. today no I love that that I've been thinking about that so much through um like through my grief processes like I'll have moments where I'm just like <laughs> 
<laughs> and then like a dog will take a shit in front of me and I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, how can I honor yeah, my grief right that now with this? <laughs> and I, I remember once I was, I was like in my journal and like crying and the dog, the dog took a shit in front of me and I was just like, it doesn't matter how much pain you're in, there is always a dog taking a shit somewhere. It's good to keep that in mind. No, it yeah. is. It is perspective, it is. right? Look, yeah. we didn't come here to have Listen, this. Listen, today is all about you, okay? Not about us. So let's get straight to it. Your moment. Marnie is our guest today. You are beautiful. I'm so happy to meet you. I've heard your music. It's fantastic. And we want to know all about you and your life and what your journey has been. Go. I'm just kidding. That's oh, my gosh. <laughs> I think I'll let Annabelle take it away because you two know each other through... Tell us how you know each other. Trauma! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Bit of shared trauma? No, we do. And actually, like, in one of your early episodes, this isn't me, like, swatting up, like, "Mm, actually, I've read the book. (laughs) It's... um, In one of your early episodes, Annabelle spoke about how she's someone who comes into people's lives and sort of... I don't know how you said it, but it's like holds the mirror up or sort of says this is the thing that needs fixing. And that's kind of the nosy bossy bitch. Uh, Yeah, I don't know if you're nosy though. I mean, you are nosy, but I don't feel like you were nosy. But basically... um, (laughs) This morning she totally rearranged my life before we started (laughs) recording this. In a good way. But that's how we met. Well, we met because I actually had heard of Annabelle from a guy I knew who had a real big Uh thing for Annabelle for a long time. So I was aware of Annabelle a long time before we met as this girl who this guy I knew was crushing hard on. Um, And then- Boys like me. Yeah, it's true. He wasn't a great boy, but you know, um, (laughs) that's no shade on you. Um, (laughs) Okay, all right, let's move on. (laughs) So we met, I would say like, seven eight years ago and we were put in a writing session it might be it's longer than that i feel like it's a good solid well it's around the decade yeah about around it okay nobody cares (laughs) um so we were (laughs) we were put in a writing session together and i had never written with a woman before and I remember going to the writing session and I text Annabelle and I was like I'm really sorry I'm running late but I'm getting my eyebrows threaded and she was like oh where do you get your eyebrows threaded and I was like this is great I already much prefer this and we <laughs> did like a session together and then I ended up going to Annabelle's house in London the next day and bleh, it all came out all the terrible things came out and then from there, we became fast friends, wrote together. But I, yeah, I mean, you moved to the States probably like three years in, I would say. Yeah. And then. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, for the last sort of five years or so, you've been over there. Um, mm-hmm. And we've seen each other. We've seen each other in LA. We've seen each other in London. But yeah. we met through being uh, depressed songwriters and artists. And yeah. that will make a fast Depressed. friendship. Suppressed. Yes, Suppressed. Mm-hmm. So artists. Marnie is a singer and songwriter based out of Hackney in London. Do you know this area? Um, no, but I should now that I'm half English. She doesn't know. Mm. Um, and 
we met, yep, doing writing sessions. I remember that first session we did, I thought, this isn't good, something's something's awry here. (laughs) You could tell something was awry with her. Oh my God. We had two sessions booked in the studio. We were meant to go that her publisher, her publisher's studio. And I remember the first day being in there and I was like, something's... Ew. Gross and cancelling. And did you guys talk about no, what we was going on with you personally? We didn't really talk about it day one. No. And we were meant to go into the studio the next day. And I said, do you know what? Why don't we meet at my house tomorrow? Mm. And we'll write at my house. So she comes over to my house instead. We sit down. We have a cup of tea. And I don't know exactly how the conversation came up, but I was definitely had less tact then. So I probably was just like, what the fuck is going on? You had less well, I, Yeah, then. even less. <laughs> Whoa. I remember it as when I retell this story to people, it was a show me on the dolly kind of conversation. I felt like I was a child who had come from like some horrific situation and we were sat like in your living room in Labrick Grove on two opposite sofas and Annabelle was like, I feel like there's something going on that you kind of nearly mentioned or so it was something like that and it was Mm. like an out of body experience. I feel like I zoomed out and I could see myself and I was like, you're about to do it. You're about to tell this person you're about to open the sort of Pandora's box and you're going to let someone in and tell them everything that's going on with you. Wow. And I just remember it being like a very, I felt like a child and it was literally like, and what, and when that happened, what then happened? And it was like literally me saying, and up until then there were three people in the world who knew um, what a terrible time I was having. One was a therapist and one were my two oldest friends. And beyond that, I had never shared what was going on, which was a very, toxic and abusive relationship with a producer and Annabelle was like "Eh, eh." like (laughs) I realized people are listening to this so my "Eh, eh," isn't very helpful (laughs) she's pulling pulling a rope pulling something out of something with rope yeah and can um, you share with us some any more detail about that situation in your life or would you do you want to keep it private it's in general, it, I was 16 years old when I met somebody and they took advantage of me in many ways. And then it took me a time to identify that and also have the courage to be able to share it with other people in my life. That was really the sort of biggest part was to be able to tell other people that this is going on and I need some help with this. You basically were in this... Uh coercive relationship with this producer you being manipulated gaslit you know tale as old as time unfortunately I think the thing that stands out for me with your situation is that you were 16 when this began this this relationship began and um and this producer was not a teenager um he was a grown man and that that for me was was the sense that I got from the conversation that we had had on the first day and you were still very young when I met you you know yeah I don't want to like probe you too much but I also you know I don't know if you listened to last week's episode we were discussing Lucy's situation that she's coming out of which was a high control group. Yeah, it was um, a narcissistic abuser 
Within a high control group within a cult. Right. <gasps> you said the C word. I said it. So we don't want to probe you too much, but it's right in line with experiences that I have had. The listener feedback that I got this week was shocking of really? people also being in these situations but not knowing how to say it. It's taken me all this time to even say the C word. Not know what it is. They don't even know what it is. They just know that they went through something really serious and they can't make sense of it and they're still struggling underneath it. So anytime I feel embarrassed to say these things, I just have to remind myself that speaking up really allows others to speak up as well. So anything you say here is in that spirit. Uh, I'm very open about what happened to me. For me, the Harvey Weinstein thing happening was this amazing shortcut in vocabulary in being able to say what it was. Because if I meet someone and they bring up that person's name, I'm able to say, he's a Harvey Weinstein. I really like that you just said a shortcut in vocabulary. That's really helpful. It is. And I think, you know, it's hard because I've heard Lucy speaking about, you know, a high uh, coercive group situation. And, you know, you, you've not been explicit about what that is. And that's completely understandable. But obviously the people that it resonates with probably know what you're talking about. But I am sort of in that weird place still where part of me doesn't want to speak about it explicitly, mainly to protect my family. Yeah. But equally on the other side of it, I'm like, oh, my God, you know, I know how I know how powerful it's been for me when I've heard other people speaking about their experiences. And then there's also the other side of it, which is when you don't want it to be your story. You don't want it to yeah, be your totally. leading point. Yeah, yeah. Um, you don't want to be known by that. Everything you're saying is, I mean, thoughts and feelings that I'm going through. And and I have friends. I have a guy friend who was being molested by his acting teacher when he was a mm -hmm. child. And it went on for six years. And many boys in their small town were by this man. And many boys came forward and took him to court. But my friend chose not to because of what it would do to his mother. Yeah. So I understand what you're saying. That guilt that, that you're worried about your family feeling is big. Yeah. And I think it's, it is kind of that thing of, you know, not wanting to relive something. And also when you've gone through a lot of work to kind of get you know, you're away. I feel from like when it. you, mm. yeah, and like when you reintroduce the idea to someone who really cares about you, it's like, but how did it happen? What happened? And you kind of have to go right back in. And it's kind of hard to, not emotionally hard, but just, um, it's hard to accurately even explain it because now I see it so differently to how I experienced it. I would have explained that yeah. story so differently 10 Isn't years ago or 12 yeah. years ago. And so it's hard to, it's hard to explain to someone like, yeah. And then I got, you know, abused by someone without sort yeah. of, you know, it sounds like you knew it was happening at the time and yeah. you didn't, even though you did know it was wrong because you didn't tell yeah. anyone. And it's a very, very weird space of kind of shame. And, but it has been something that honestly, Harvey Weinstein was like something I was so relieved by because it just blew the whole thing yeah. open yeah wow I'm somebody that 
like I cringe at myself doing this podcast like every week I'm living out my trauma in front of people because it's just like I'm just like oh my god shut fuck up (laughs) Um, and when other people do it I'm just like cringe Uh, do that in private please (laughs) (laughs) but it's helping it helps people and that's what keeps Mm. me doing it is that I get messages every week with how much I'm helping people and I'm just like god fucking yeah it's it is i get it i get that you don't want to be known for that and i think there is a particularly specific uh trauma attached to when it comes to being sexually abused and coerced in your working relationship and especially when it's in the arts because then you become that bitch that walks in the room and everyone's like oh is she gonna say that i um sexually assaulted her and it's like Okay, no. Well, also, it's the thing that I've always been a very confident, quite sort of, you know, everyone has their sort of frailties in different ways. But I think a lot of people to look at me or encounter me don't see me as vulnerable. And so it's very hard for them to believe that I was vulnerable because that abuse took place in a corner of my life that most people don't see or don't experience yeah. and and abusers prey on those parts of people that they can identify that other people can't and you know other people would see someone who was like an extrovert wanting to be an artist wanting to be you know seen and looked at and paid attention to oh not that kind of attention and so I do think it's a hard thing for a lot for a lot of people who are in the arts and who present as these very confident extroverts as much as we're all sort of crippled introverts at the same time. You know, the people you went to school with, people I went to school with would never think of me as someone who would be abused. And so it, it, that's the other side is that you then have to qualify who you are, you know, beyond the version of everyone, the version of you that everyone has subscribed to or that they've, you know, interpreted in their own way. And, you know, I think people, because I'm now, especially on the back of what I went through, so ardent about that kind of shit, people would be like, well, that would never happen to her because she'd call it out straight away. And she'd be like, no, Mm. no, no. But, you know, guys, it it like starts somewhere and (laughs) ends there. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Wow. I'm, I'm just so in line with everything you're saying. It's really spot on. Um, well, yeah, Annabelle's just said it does not define us so let's talk about uh other aspects of you in your life how did that um all tie into your music and what were you doing with your music at the time and what have you gone on to do what has that so, been like at the time I signed to Sony Records so I signed to a major label I don't know if you guys are familiar with that we should talk about that sometime (laughs) um but I signed to Sony through a production company with that producer so my entire deal at Sony was essentially owned by him and when I wanted to get out of my deal with him you know he told me oh they won't want you without me they only signed you because you're an artist that I've developed so Mm. I did have to kind of strike out on my own and be a little bit brave and have some conversations one-to-one with people at the label who were like that guy we don't care about that guy well that's what abusers do is they tell you you'll be nothing without them and that if you leave them you'll fail 
Yeah, which I don't think many people realize that they explicitly say that. It's not some kind of like wishy-washy thing that you get no. sort of an impression of. You are told. No, it's not a metaphor. No, <laughs> no it's not a metaphor. I'm not assuming that's nope. what he means. He he made it very clear. It's in all it's in every study of narcissistic abuse that you can yeah. find. It's textbook massive part of the abuse it's a cornerstone of the abuse my ex used to say to me no one will ever love you as much as I do no one will ever know you as well as I do yeah (laughs) love that for you (laughs) so you went to the label and you started to find out that he was lying of course yeah and I was starting to find out that he was taking money which is you know something that again I had shocking yeah shocking I know wow I'm like I mean maybe it's shocking for the listeners but it's like that's what happened to me as well at my in my deal I got I remember I was asking for fucking months for the statements and Mm -hmm. they finally came well we got first class flights. We got studio time for a studio that was already rented and pre We got music. We got all this shit going on here, which yeah. I didn't spend. Well, no. this is it again. It's like, I, I think that people think, oh, he took my money. People think, oh, you probably signed it. No, they go into your budget and they sign off on the money that is spent because they are in charge. And in my case, I was in a production deal. So anything I earned from my deal, he took a percentage of, a massive percentage. And then when I eventually got my statements, which were being sent to him two years after he was no longer part of anything to do with me, two years after that, he was still seeing statements of seeing statements of what Sony was spending or weren't spending on me. Anyway, when I eventually got them, if you're in a producer deal, which I feel like these kind of details are important for people to hear, and maybe there are artists, I imagine, that listen to your show. In a producer deal or that kind of production agreement, if somebody is getting a percentage of what you earn, they don't then get paid on top of that for additional services. That's the deal of it, okay? So if you're in a deal with, like I was, a producer, and he's taking 40% of what you make, He doesn't then get paid five grand a track for being a producer. But in my case, he was. And in my case, apparently there was £12,000 spent on tour support. I've never been on tour. (laughs) So I don't know what tour I was on, but I wish I'd been there. It is funny though. You have to laugh. I know it it must have been like packed venues. Yeah, it's been an amazing But when I went through that process of getting out, the really interesting thing that happened was I told him, I want to get out of this. I want to get out of this. I don't think he believed I was ever going to sort of like press the red Mm. button and really take action. And I said to him, like, you know, big, huge, like emotional, shouldn't have been in those conversations. But I said, if you want to be a decent person in this, what you will do is null and void our contract and you'll let me rewrite the terms of it. At that point, I'm still thinking, I'll still give you something. You know, let's forget that. Don't worry about that. But at the point where at the time I told my then boyfriend, he disappeared and I never heard from him again. As soon as I had told a man, as soon as I had said, I've told him everything. He knows everything that you've done. He knows everything that you say. He has seen everything. I never heard from him again. And the same thing when I then went to deal with my lawyer, who it turns out was like in cahoots with this producer, who when I went to my lawyer and finally like 
brought down all the guards and I said, this is what happened. He said to me, well, little girl, you have got yourself in a mess, haven't you? And I was like, like a nightmare. Oh, fuck. It's like a horror film. Yeah. Honestly, it makes me yeah. feel oh my God. murderous. I know. I know. Well, I did actually get to have my moment with that lawyer at a party about two years ago. I saw him and I was like, I'm doing my fucking <gasps> thing. I'm doing the like did? Charlotte in Sex in the City. I just, what I don't know do? what happened to me. I think I channeled my dead grandmother and just i knew he wanted to avoid me he'd sort of caught my eye halfway through the evening and acknowledged me in that way of like oh i know you oh i don't want to know you Mm. and then the people i was with i told them that's that person he's over there when he tried to leave they blocked his exit and i went over to him (gasps) and was like charlotte mr big i cursed the day (laughs) you were born (laughs) yes did it feel good it felt amazing I mean I was like shaking but it felt amazing and it Mm, felt amazing to have it witnessed but I find it so interesting that those two individuals I had to get rid of the lawyer obviously had to get rid of the producer and the point where they both left was the point where I brought a boyfriend along with me so I Mm. literally brought my boyfriend to the lawyer's office and was like you fucked me over interesting that you're saying that do you remember how long I was trying to get out of my deal? Long yeah. last time. I was trying to get out. I was trying every motherfucking thing to get out of my deal. When did I when did I start getting a response and get getting that out of my deal? When I brought in two friends of mine who were men, who were important in the industry. Mm-hmm. And I just wrote in my email their two names and I said they will now be cc'd on all communication pertaining to my record deal and my production deal that shit was signed in 10 fucking days yeah it had been years I just remembered it happened to me too it happened with a manager a really really toxic manager just after me for a long time and then I brought in my stepdad and that's what stopped him yeah, How we all have that experience. <sighs> it's Look, just not, not a coincidence. That men aren't shit, but <laughs> <laughs> Look, little girl. <laughs> Look, little lady. Look, you've little... really got a thing or two Look, to learn about woman. this world. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. it is one of those things where you kind of are, are stuck in this toxic male environment. And the kind of only thing to do is fight fire with fire and bring a dude in. Yeah, you know, because they just don't, you don't listen bring, to you. You don't bring a knife to a gunfight. No, you bring a exactly. fucking AK forty seven, and you fucking take destroy. the place Yeah. Um, okay, so long. That was a long winded description of how you and I met, mm. and these were tragic beginnings. <laughs> but the person that you are today, <laughs> compared to the sort of um you know you were you were young you were you were a kid I I see you as a kid when I first met you even though you were I was was very young yeah um and that's not who you are anymore and I don't mean that in a sad like oh they like ruined you know fucking ruined your like oh no please thank god (laughs) she's got her youthful glow look at that glowing um I mean it in the sense that like you pulled your big girl panties up and you fucking got your pussy on straight and now you're back on the grind, <laughs> you know? 
And that is what the whole point of us getting guests on like you is about. It's yeah. not for us to like relive all of our trauma. And no. like, yeah, there's obviously going to be a bit of chat of like comparing stories because we want to do that because I, we don't want what happened to us and what happened to you and what happened to Nova and whoever else our guests are to happen to any other fucking person. And if that yeah. means that sometimes we have to share things Air which the are dirty a little <laughs> bit embarrassing We're willing or whatever, to do that. then it needs to yeah. be done. That's how I feel about it anyway. Yeah, so, but the point is that we have all been victorious over these situations and gone on to have beautiful lives and we're all living proof of that. And somebody stuck in a situation like this needs to know that. You know, girlies, if you can't get out your deal, just bring a man along and you'll just, <laughs> just bring a boyfriend and that shit will be handled. It's okay? called feminism. You should look at us. Yeah. Uh, it's called feminism. Get a boyfriend. <laughs> bring your dad. <laughs> so here we are oh, today. God. Um, you know, the one of the points that I that really gets my goat when we have this conversation is those motherfuckers took my 20s from me. They took my fucking 20s from me. That guy took a solid 10 years from you. Yeah. It's it's really hard to reconcile with that. And I find it really hard to... There's part of me that is like, purely as an artist, the music I was making at that time is music I'm glad I didn't put out. Like when you guys talk about, you know, like Annabelle, when you say like, oh, my music videos or whatever are like the things you've hated. And because I was in such a shit deal, nothing ever saw the light of day. And so that's the kind of, I try and take little silver linings of like, well, do you know what? I'm glad I never put the music out that his name would have been on. I'm glad I never got far enough down the road because that the road was bad, you know? And it's like- yeah. You, they stole your 20s yeah and you're totally right to feel like that but also thank god it didn't become your 30s you know thank god you didn't release music with them have yeah. it successful and you know have it become your whole life and I think mm -hmm. it is really hard I was weirdly I was looking through my camera roll the other day and I saw pictures from sort of I don't know 2017 maybe which was right in the time where I was then trying to get out of my deal with Sony after I got out of my production deal and I was like this is such a sad time to look through because it was so mm. void nothing was going on and it did make me really sad to look back on but it does kind of I don't know it lights a bit of a fire under your ass to be like don't do that again you know oh, and I 100%. find myself going back to those behaviors sometimes you know waiting being a good girl, like waiting for the email. If I haven't heard it back, like, you know, I'll wait another day. No, I did that for like 10 years. Don't do it again. Mm. But I do understand that feeling of being robbed. And especially as an artist or as an actress where your age is so thrust in your face, it's hard mm. to not resent someone who invaded that kind Lost of you time. time. Yeah. Yeah, your prime years. I mean, I mean, that's just a fact. It's not it's not like a that's just industry standard. It's not like an opinion. Yeah. That's when women make the most waves and make most money in the beginnings mm. of their careers in their in their twenties. Um, I can't believe that because that's not how it's gone for me. And if I were to believe that, that would mean that I should just quit now. Oh, hundred percent. So I have to just not 
believe that. Well, you just have to be the change that you, like, not without sounding super self-helpy, but you do have to be the change that you wish to see. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that that's part of why we're having these conversations with artists like yourself is because I want for us to send a really clear message that just because you had a false start or maybe like in my situation a couple two three false starts doesn't mean that it's over for you like you can pick yourself up and start again that is the nature of being an artist anyway is that we're evolving we're changing we go through different phases and it's always going to be more okay for men than it is for women. That's just, I don't believe it's ever going to change. I don't believe there is any amount of feminist literature and seminars that it's ever going to change the fact that aging is always going to be okay for men and it's not going to be so okay for women. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just have to, I think, just say fuck it and do it anyway. Exactly. I mean, my... Uh, theory on this and this is something that Max instilled in me was like as long as you still look hot doesn't matter you just have to look fit <laughs> you know Literally I had this matter. exact conversation with a friend of mine who I won't name check but she listens to your podcast and loves it and she's big an friend artist. of the pod big friend of the pod and it's also me and her are like an alternate Lucy and Annabelle she's American I'm British Oh, and okay. you know Love she's it. very nice i'm a demon you know it's just very <laughs> parallel and okay um, i don't know i'm very nice. i don't know who you're talking about right now so <laughs> um, i do but she has we had this exact conversation this week because she's been having conversations about her age as an artist and i literally said the same thing i was like you know oh, blah 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 it's all irrelevant i was like but by the way you look 24 so it's fine <laughs> like it, yeah. i think as long as you look good doesn't fucking matter as long as people still want to fuck you or be or look like you you're golden or just get one of Sorry those to all you ugly bitches out there I think as long as you, <laughs> you feel good i think as long as you feel good that'll shine through but yes it is a visual oh she's so nice oh, she's so nice <laughs> Well, listen, I mean, the fact is that it is a visual business, especially my business of acting. It's a visual business. It's your yeah. face and body up on the screen. And that's part of the job is yeah. is making your appearance the best it can be. And it takes a lot of work. People wonder, oh, what? She just gets up on a red carpet. Do you know the work that it takes to get up on that Bitch, red carpet? Bitch, do you know the work it takes? You don't diet or exercise. You know what, bitch? <laughs> I look like a million bucks. But I look back on... In Monopoly things. money. It, well, <laughs> I hate Monopoly. You know we both hate board games. I don't even don't know bring it up. how to play it. And speaking of your face, if you don't get that fucking thing, stop you're going to get... about my you're Literally, it's going to dissolve your cheek. Can you just stop looking at it? You're really messing with my flow here. I'm trying to tell Marnie something important. You're trying to be Marnie, so listen. All right, it's you and me. Forget about her for a second. Yeah, but your face, Lucy, you need to get that. <laughs> oh, no, you're both teaming up on me. You know, actually, this is good, and everyone's going to be like, why are you being mean to Lucy? It's because I told her she needs to go to the doctor about it, and the only way she's going to listen is if I bully her about it. You bully True me or false? True. <laughs> you saw on my face when you said, can you go to the doctor today? I lied. I was you like, said, yeah, and I said, no, and you said, I'll go tomorrow. I said, no, you're going to go today. God. Damn it. All right, what I wanted to say about this is I I have to believe that the lessons that 
my record deal taught me that went awry and that other this other thing in my life that I keep talking about recovering from the lessons from that it has to be because the best is yet to come it has to be because it needed to prepare me to get to where I am now I can't think that anything went wrong or I mean you know it's such a typical thing oh everything is meant to be there are no coincidences but I do believe it. And I don't believe that it was wasted time because each of us got really valuable lessons that made us incredible. Yeah. And, and that has to mean that we we have to go on to do a lot with it. It can't just be that, Oh, I had a record deal once and then I just, you know, left the business and owned a vitamin shop in Vermont. That's not going to, although that sounds fantastic. Where did that come from? I don't know. I'm just saying like, <laughs> The point of all this talk is that we have a responsibility now to do the things we want and and use our time wisely and not miss out on anything. But it's also, you know, with that, not only is it, you know, you've got to believe it for yourself. The weird thing is I believe it for everyone else. I just, it's myself that it's a problem for. Annabelle puts Mm -hmm. out music. I'm not like, oh, oh God. I'm like, yeah, duh. But if I do it, I feel differently. And the other thing on what you were saying, Lucy, about the responsibility to move the conversation or have the conversation is that we're also in a time where you guys have a platform. 10 years ago, you couldn't just rock up and like have a podcast for an hour every week where anyone can listen to it. You had to be platformed. You you would have had Mm -hmm. to have some kind of slot on a show or had to be given some sort of traditional media format. We're now in a time where we live in the information age. We live in an age of endless and sometimes frustratingly inane, endless conversation. But it does mean that people are able to talk now more than ever before. And you see it with artists. Artists used to never have relationships. You know, even when I was in my deal before social media had really, really happened in that massive way, artists never really knew each other in that sort of early stage because mm. all you did was meet other writers and producers and label people yep. you were never in a room with artists whereas now I'm friends with so many artists and we talk about this stuff and we like red flag people to each other and so there is exactly. just this sprawl of con- connection and that's the thing that is really frightening to those abusive people and that's the reason why you know equally people get scared of getting me too'd or whatever because suddenly there's this ability to speak freely and to a lot of people all at once whereas before I'd have had to wait to be in a room with a lot of people at a party to be like hey this guy's horrible so I think not only is it that we're moving on and and people are more open to these ideas and more open to hearing experiences from women without going oh you climbing slag it's like now you can actually hear it because you just couldn't hear it before yeah That's why Annabelle and I started this show was to talk about these things and help fellow artists and people, regardless of if you're in the arts or not. Just we felt a responsibility to share our experience and it's grown and grown into something that we could not have imagined, you know, with Max and Ryan dying and it opened us up to this whole other world of discussion. Mm. Uh, but this is the core of it is to connect, say the difficult things and And connect basically. Yeah. Well, also to realize that people do want to hear this stuff. 
you know, if if you had pitched something like this to traditional media, you know, if if it had been picked up, it would have been on a sort of obscure, like, I don't know, a late night thing, late night radio, alternative, you know, whatever. Mm, I don't right. know enough about it, but... It's, yeah, now there's nothing between just very, us and the listeners and, and artists and the fans. It's There's a direct link now, and it's really powerful. And people yeah, should be and afraid. It's why, <laughs> the abusers yeah. should be afraid. They definitely should. But it's why it sounded it's, like um, a threat. I liked it. Well, you know, I've got, uh, <laughs> it got is. some things up my sleeve. She's not so nice. She's here. got a knife on the table. She's all- I'm brewing some uh, plans for the future. Well, I just I want to hear about your music. I want to hear how you started out as a singer and a musician in your life? Well, I actually, I did a course last week learning how to be a barber because, you know, you need to have extra strings to the bow. And Mm -hmm. somebody had followed me on Instagram and was like, oh my God, you're a singer. And they were like, are you a really good singer? And I said sort of jokingly, (laughs) no, but I'm a really good show off. And they were just like, oh, okay. I was like, oh. (laughs) It's a joke. That was a joke. They were American, weren't they? No, they were very, 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 very British. Um, Oh, okay. They don't get jokes either. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so how did I start? Um, I guess like I grew up in a family that loved music, but weren't musical. My grandmother was a dinner lady, like cooked in school canteens and but she was incredibly interested in reading and she taught herself to play the piano and she used to write songs like about our days together when I was little and my mum has them all written down. So my my nan was really this like very creative person, but not in a way that's like... Sounds like a fairy. She was, but not in a way that was like openly creative. You know, she was very much just an old Irish lady who drank lager and smoked cigarettes all day long icon that's oh, um, kind of wow. she, <laughs> what was her name mary mary hartigan mary. but she was an obvious like the obvious sort of link for me musically and and she you know sang all the time and was just like irish people love music and love poetry you know you think about how small ireland is as a country and then you think of how many great writers poets yeah. actors comedians you know it's it's potent with kind of torture and therefore creativity so can i stop you there mm. also famous for its potatoes it is famous for its potatoes now i thought that that was i thought that was not true i thought that was one of the one of the very racist stereotypes that people throw around but actually then when i found out that no it's absolutely true um there is an endless number of ways that Irish people can cook a potato. Really? I think your grandpa once made you a starter of a boiled potato slice. <laughs> I can't remember into, you, you remember that. And then, and then it was like a potato for the main course as well. Yeah, my granddad, bless his heart, like perfect match for my wonderful grandmother. But when she died, he suddenly had to learn to cook and had never, ever cooked in his whole life. And so I used to go to his house after school as a teenager because he lived so nearby and he used to make me these dinners. And it was like salmon and potatoes, sausage and potatoes, lamb (laughs) and potatoes. And anyway, one day I went round and he was like, I've made you a starter. And I was like, oh, my God, so fancy. Like, what are we doing? And he brought me a saucer with just two boiled potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay. 
But why isn't this a starter? Like, yeah. <laughs> why am I okay. going places and seeing tricolore salad? I'm looking for two <laughs> boiled potatoes. Of substantial size. I went to the grocery store yesterday, Marnie, and I bought six potatoes. The good kind. You know, so what you might not know about America is there's two types of potatoes there. Nice ones, which are yellow. And then there's these brown, muddy ones that everyone cooks. The russet potato. In UK, we have like 50 different types of potato. There's a potato for everything. We're spoiled and they're cheap. Guess how much six... Just normal for us, potatoes cost. I don't know, like that would be like one pound twenty or something <laughs> here. Nine dollars. Why? So <laughs> as an English person here, I've spent a majority of my income on potatoes because I like to eat many of them. <laughs> Me too. I thought Joe Biden was an Irish Catholic. What the fuck? I don't know what he is. Don't get me started on that. Look, anyway, back to your grandma who's a fairy. I just really needed to let you know how much those potatoes cost. I will also say that one time I remember being in your flat in Labrook Grove and I was like, what is this smell? I was like, I feel so happy right now. And you were like, I don't know, I'm boiling old vegetables. And I was like, yes. Yes. That is so nice. Um, yeah, so my grandparents were musical and the sort of irony was that my grandmother was incredibly talented but introverted, but my granddad was a show-off and just wanted to sing. He'd like go to the pub and be like, let's sing songs. Like, Aww. so it was all like sort of, you know, it's just part of culture. I don't think it was anything sort of particular to my family. My mom loves music. I didn't grow up with my dad, but he loves like Elvis Presley and Patsy Cline. And so when we eventually met, that was kind of like the one thing apart from DNA that we had in common to talk about. So wait, am I remembering this correctly or incorrectly? Did your dad go out for cigarettes and never came back? Kind of. Um, He went out on Christmas Day and never came back. Oh, even better. (sighs) That's worse than... But I was two months, so I didn't didn't know. (laughs) Well, you think. <laughs> you're like a major life hack. Have your dad walk out when you're a baby. Doesn't affect you at all. Yeah. Yeah. But then we're all fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so good. I'm so good. Please, you know, get my boyfriend to get me out of this deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so you so yeah, um, you he walked out when you were two months old on Christmas Day. Look, did he get you a, a Christmas present that year? No, my mum like actually did, and that was me. him fucking leaving. <laughs> Peace out. <laughs> I'm just going out to oh. get your gift. <laughs> oh. um, no, he. Your poor mum. Yeah, so my parents were together. Um, so my dad is born and raised in Ireland. My mum was born to Irish immigrants in London. So my dad moved over when he was like 19 or something, whatever age people move countries, and. Him and my mum got together. They had been together for a bit, I think, like on and off. Then my sister, who is four years older than me, was born. And they got married two years after that. Two years after me. Two years after that, they had me. And two months after that, he was like, I was in, but now I'm out. <laughs> wow, that's so. the same thing with me. Like right after I was born, my dad left. And same. I, I've always carried that as my fault. Well, you? I carry it as my fault because my older sister basically just said it was my fault. <laughs> you don't have to wonder. She really, like for a long time, I mean, I'm hoping she's over it at this point, but 
it was like you came along and then dad left and everything changed. Whoa. Nice. Wow, we all three have that in common. Well, I never <sighs> felt like responsible for it. I think one I thing I realized as I got older was <laughs> <Okay>. that, <laughs> sorry for you guys, but my dad left really kindly. No, he didn't. But my mom did used to say when I was little and used to say like, why don't I have a dad? She used to say, because he was not ready to be a father. And in later life, I look back on that and think that's an odd thing to say to a child instead of because he, you know, is a difficult person or because our marriage didn't work. It was like he wasn't ready to be a father. But me and my sister definitely. Yeah, he was already a father. Yeah, but I think he was like in and out. He was very, like they lived together, but he was very unreliable. You know, I don't think he was a committed (sighs) parent. You know, I think he was sort of there, but not really. But you're right. It Um, is a strange thing to say to a kid. Just because you can doesn't mean you should have a baby. It really. Yeah. That can be some on our merch. (laughs) Just because you can doesn't mean you should. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Big lesson. But yeah, I I think, yeah, it's interesting, obviously, listening to you guys talk about that and talk about your dads and your experiences. And obviously, that's something that Annabelle and I have spoken about a lot over the years. But it's a weird one, because obviously, you both know your fathers, know who they are. I didn't meet my dad until I was 21. I didn't meet him until that previously mentioned grandfather died, who had wanted me to meet him. And so by the time I met my dad, the concept of the father who left and the man I met were very separate things. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of compartmentalized in some way. You know, there are obvious ways in which it's affected me over the years that are unconscious. Like I've always had older boyfriends. I've gone out with dads. You know, I've been in abusive situations with you know, male figures in my life. I can't relate to any of that. <laughs> Can you, Annabelle? No, I don't, Annabelle's know, what, very I don't quiet. know what you're talking about, you guys. <laughs> you guys have nothing to say, really? Nope. <laughs> really? How many months in? <laughs> um, <sighs> but for me, that's never been about this individual. It's always been this concept of a father. When I met Mick, you know, my dad... It was it was bizarre meeting this person because there was yeah. no feeling. And you've you've you know, lived I'd lived up until twenty-one, been through a lot of shit by that point, been told by various people, spoken about it with therapists of this idea of what's it come from, you know, your father or whatever, or has it come from the fact that the father figure in my life was my grandfather, a much older man. And I wonder um, if that um has had altered the way that your dynamic with your sort of I don't know why I feel to say biological father I from the outside I very much see your grandfather as your father figure and and your dad in your life totally totally so it's like Mick comes along and it's like okay yeah Yeah. (laughs) what did he have to say Was was he excited to meet you you know Lucy it was like meeting someone who's in love with you and it's like meeting a fan. It's it was bizarre. It was it was like Whoa. unrequited love. It was meeting <gasps> someone who has this tears in their eyes, is like clutching <gasps> your hand, has spent every day like, you know, when he's not sort of in some other haze thinking about you, and you're like, Oh, nice Whoa. to meet you. 
anyone could have arrived in the parking lot I met him in, aside from the fact that I'd seen photos of him and I'd have been like, okay, it's this guy. I There was wow. nothing there and that was so odd. And what was weird was that when my sister then met him, there was a much bigger reaction. Mm. And also, like my sister was four, but I don't look anything like my dad. I look like my mum's parents. You and really do look like your mum. Yeah, and it's like I've just got no kind of paternal DNA. But as Annabelle said, my grandfather was my father and he yeah. very mm. consciously stepped up. And I know from my family, he was like, cool, I'm going to be their dad. And my grandfather was like six foot two, didn't drink. As soon as his first child was born, he was like, I'm not drinking. This is the ruin of everyone. Saved every penny of his money, was an amazing husband, was an amazing father, was like oh, deeply religious and was the most hardworking person, but also like funny and a real alpha, but like oh. loved women. And my dad is like a very small, he could be a jockey. He's like um, kind of nervous, like he has his, you know, like the thing is for, for the guy, I have compassion for him. Like I know a bit about his life story. I can kind of understand maybe why he um, couldn't be a father or why mm-hmm. he, why he just had to leave. You know, I don't see it as this great cruel activity, but what is interesting is that my sister just had her first baby and man, did it spin me out. And I think a big part of it was looking mm-hmm. at this tiny baby and going, Hey, eight weeks from now, imagine one of these guys just goes. Mm, yeah. So I think it's something that maybe as I get older and start to shift in generations, you know, I don't know if I want children, but as I become an aunt, it's it like rears its head in a different way. But I do feel like so I feel like I'm going all over the place. I no, do feel no, like I had for. Yeah. I had a father figure. I had a really amazing male presence in my life I just didn't have a dad and obviously that father Mm. figure died when I was quite young and he wasn't my dad and you always know that he's not your dad but I don't yeah it's it's a weird one people sort of I think sometimes when they hear that you know I'm sure you guys experience it they're like oh uh," and I'm like hey it's it's really fine, yeah, but I know it's not fine for everyone because I know that even yeah. between my sister and I, we have really different feelings about it. And I have never felt like it was a personal slight on me as an individual mm-hmm. that the guy who wound up being my dad was incapable. Whereas I think my sister, I hate to speak for her, but I think she has felt it much more as a personal. Yeah. Well, she's that much older. And I'd say that my older sister's, are like way more fucked up by the dad stuff than and have like more attachment to him and ongoing things than Sarah and I who are both the youngest of of both of his marriages and it's really Mm. interesting what you said about holding your niece is that niece Mm. Mm -hmm. and thinking like wow how could could in eight weeks baby I so specifically remember the moment I had that with my nephew do you he was uh, so specifically, like, I'll never forget it. My fir- my nephew, Phoenix. I have another nephew, Harrison, and a niece, Lauren. But they were in America while I was living in England. So I wasn't exposed to them as much, you know, in their infancy. And yeah. I was, you know, those little, um, like, wheelie cars or bikes or 
like donkeys that kids yeah, yeah, ride yeah. and you push the thing. It's when they can't do that yet. So I was pushing him down the lane and he was giggling and his little legs were going along the side. And I remember I was just hit with it so hard of just how could you, there is nothing in this world that could bring me out of this child's life. Not a mm. fucking thing. And this isn't even my kid. Yeah. Yeah. And that's... I feel the same thing for my niece. That's really... Like, I would die for her. You know, I I really was so struck by that at the time. And I... And, you know, you, your sister's just recently had her baby. So you're still in the midst of that. And does it... Is it still spinning you out slightly? Because for me, it spun me out for a while. And it made me really angry at my dad for a while. Do you know what? It was so weird because my sister so there's my sister and I and then because we only grew up with one side of the family there's my mum and her sister so there's a kind of like you know mirroring generations wise my aunt didn't have children and so there's this kind of weird thing of like oh well my sister's had a kid now so does that mean I'm now the one that's Mm -hmm. not gonna have but when my niece was born no one had warned me no one had like I hadn't seen anything not that I'd been researching it but I like lost my mind for a week and I still haven't spoken to my sister about it because I didn't want to be like hey (laughs) you know I'm feeling shit about this lovely thing um and I also didn't the feeling I had wasn't envy of this baby who has been Mm. born into a wonderful set of parents. It was just like more a sort of sense of, Oh my God, I love you so much. How sad that I didn't have the same. And it was that kind of feeling, but I had, I had like a really bad week and then maybe two weeks and now I feel like a lot better about it but for a long time I didn't know what it was and I had to like really talk it out with like my best friend and you know be like what am I feeling I definitely felt a sense of mortality of like Mm. oh shit I'm the baby of my family and I was like I'm not the baby of the family anymore also I'm someone's aunt and I'm a fucking loser like I was like I'm someone's aunt oh my god do not say that no this is what this this was where I was at this was where the like brain was I was like I'm somebody's aunt I don't own a house I haven't achieved what I want to achieve or what I thought I would achieve at the point I had imagined aunthood you know these thoughts you don't even know you've had about what aunthood is yep and I was having the feelings of yeah, de- a bit like a sadness, a sadness for myself, a sadness for my sister, you know, just thinking like this little baby is being born into something that is what all babies should be born into. And we didn't have that. And it just the whole thing oh, really like freaked me out for a bit. And then I actually texted the other uncle. So the paternal uncle of the baby who I'm quite close to. And like a couple of weeks into like Molly being here, I was like, hey, man, are you okay?" And he texted me back and was like, yeah, finding the whole thing really weird. (laughs) Wow, so men go through it too. That is so interesting. So Ryan died November 26th or 27th, whenever Thanksgiving is. And that week, my best friend was going to tell me that she had become pregnant. And then the boys died. So she couldn't tell me and Mm. she didn't know when to tell me. And 
I mean, like, it wasn't news to me. They've been talking about it for a long time. Ryan and I said at the beginning of last year, they're going to get pregnant this year. Like, we just, like, you know, mm. I was like, eh, it's going to happen. It's fine. But when I found out, it really um, threw me. Not because I wasn't so happy. Like, it's all, yeah. we've talked about it since we were 16. You know, I've known her since we mm. were 16. And she's wanted to marry this guy that she's with and has always been with and is the only person she's ever been with. And build a house together and have a baby and have, like, a creative job and travel. And, you know, those are her kind of mm-hmm. things that she wanted to do so it's been it's not like a shocking news flash mm-hmm. you know and it's I know it sounds like a weird thing to say like we've wanted this for so long but her and I are so close and our lives yeah. are so interlinked that it's like I've wanted it for her for so long but to find out that just as Ryan had left her baby was coming was was such a um head fuck and I didn't know if that was okay (laughs) I was just like oh my god am I a wretched person you know like you said you don't want to speak to the person about it but whatever I was really lucky and that she was unbelievably on a level about it and she was the one that said to me like I find it really weird that people aren't talking about how weird this is for us like it's so fucked up that ryan's died and that and i'm praying like she was the one mm-hmm. that and i was like this is why we're fucking best friends mm-hmm. like i don't yeah. we don't have to explain anything to each other yeah we both feel really weird about the timing obviously yeah. we're obsessed that the baby is mm-hmm. coming but the timing really spun us out because for me one of the big things was i need to be with ryan and i was like we need to be, move back to england as soon as possible Layla and John are going to have a baby and I cannot miss it. Well, I've missed the whole yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. The baby's coming in the next few weeks, you know, and wow. I can really relate to that. That I that think as well, just being like, whoa, <laughs> like, what's happening? Think, it's, it's a bit, you know, like a sister is a best friend and mm. obviously, you know, Layla getting pregnant, you losing Ryan, that is such an extreme version of oh. an element of what I felt, which was like, our lives have gone different directions yeah. and we're no longer like trudging along as a pair. Yeah. And I think I really felt that when my sister had a baby, even though I'm like, I mean, this baby's aunt, I'm so excited. We were so close to our aunt and still are so close. And so I felt, you know, I don't feel disregarded. I've seen the baby loads. I love, I absolutely adore her. And my sister's like the most amazing mum, and it's amazing Aww, to watch. Is she? Yeah. She's like, just taking it to it like a duck Born to water. For like, it. I, Oh, yeah, and I always that. thought, you know, a bit like what you're describing, my sister always was like, I want to get married, I want to do this, I want to have a baby. Yeah. And as much as she always wanted to get married, like a mother is a role I had never really imagined. I knew she was going to be a mother one day, but I hadn't imagined her as one. But mm. I think I did feel like we have this tiny family and you have just made your own branch away from mine. And Mm. I was like, I definitely, like my best friend said to me, like, I think you're probably feeling weird because Mary Kate has her own family now and you're like not a central character in it. But that week that she had her baby, you know, on Instagram, she like changed her bio to like wife to so-and-so mum to Molly. And then she'd done like, you know, the two girls in the black outfits emoji and had like tagged me she didn't know how I was feeling, but I was like, mm. oh my God. 
was like, I was like, oh, I'm still ranking. And I think that was a huge part of what I was feeling was like, we've always been partners, shared Mm -hmm. experience. We've shared, we have the most DNA in common of anyone on the planet. We have, you know, that language that you only have with people you've known for all that time. And you now, it was a weird thing of just being like, I'm no longer the most important person, like person in your life, even though she's married, I was like, Mm -hmm. suddenly felt like we weren't there. And I think for you with, you know, going through that so soon after Ryan passing, it's like, wow, you may have been on that same road or at least Mm. on the version of it that you wanted to be on. Yeah, yeah. Whether or not you wanted to have children or whether that was something you were going to do or weren't going to do soon or ever, to have your best friend not only still have her husband or partner, Mm -hmm. but to be carrying on in life, that is huge. Like, Yeah, I just mean, it kind of is very, it's like a very, when you're already feeling... Um, so fractured it's just uh, it wasn't even on my mind and then I was like oh my god all my friends are gonna start having kids and I don't my Mm. husband's gone Uh, like uh," you know and it just that day I was really trying to be fine all day and I was so manic it was so crazy I was like oh it's great everything's fine just like being Mm -hmm. psycho and then I went to the horses and on the way back from the horses I um, screamed in the car so loudly and I had wanted to the whole time and hadn't been able to. I screamed so loudly that my that everything shook and my eyes went like black. And then I went to my sister's house who doesn't have a kid and I was like, Layla's pregnant. And she was like, oh my God, come inside. Because she gets it because she's made the choice not yeah. to have a kid. Mm-hmm. She understands that yeah. feeling of when people are starting to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think, yeah, some people are going to turn their noses up at this conversation. (laughs) Go fuck yourself. You know, like some of us don't have kids yet and we're not sure. And it makes us question things when people around us have kids. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's normal. Yeah, it is normal. You look at yourself and you go, God, should I be worried? Is something wrong with me? Why don't don't I I have a kid? Why don't I either? Why don't I want them or why don't I know yet? Or where's my... I like you said I haven't achieved xyz by this time in my life and I you just said something that really resonates with me you said children when a child is born it all of a sudden reminds you that you're mortal mm. that you're going to die that you know of, of mortality and I think that's what I struggle with a lot with kids I think I I I have a lot of fear about having kids because then well it's life cycle it makes, isn't it it's a life cycle. Exactly. It's a life cycle. And I totally understand the sister thing. My sister got married and I like went inside the wedding venue and cried in a room that wouldn't come out at the reception. And I didn't know what was happening. I didn't yeah. understand it. I still don't yeah. really understand it, but it, there's so much tied to it's that sister bond. It's not because you're not happy for the person. No. You know, I remember no, not at all. one of my childhood best friends was getting married and we went dress shopping for her and I remember touching the dresses and just going, feeling like I knew the person I was with wasn't the wrong match and like the whole thing. And it's it's not because you're not happy for the person. It's just all of these messages that are being sent to us our whole lives start getting louder. Mm-hmm. And then your internal kind of existential philosophical threads start 
jiggling around and it's like it's a confronting experience mm. and I wish that it was a little bit more okay to talk about I feel like we're gonna get some shit for this but I, I wish that it was a little bit more okay to say like no I'm so happy I'm just gonna go over here and have my own little thoughts about it and then I'll check back in afterwards yeah I think that should be all right it's, but also you're not to saying, realize that you know the beginning of something is always the end of something else yeah and therefore it's like exactly. intrinsically a slightly mournful experience. When I was having my week of spinning out, I spoke to my mum, which was probably so unhelpful in case she was having the same feelings. But I was like, I just burst out crying. And I was like, I'm having a really horrible time because the last thing that nanny and granddad were, were grandparents and then they died. And now you are a grandparent. And she was yeah, like, right. She was like, but people live longer. And I was like, yeah, I know. It's just that you but are you've now. You've entered that cycle now. You're in that stage. And I really felt like, oh my God. Like, even like you're saying, like with your sister getting married or with your friends getting married, you are now living the moments that your parents have told you about anecdotally, which to me sounded like ancient history when I would hear about my mum going to my aunt's wedding. And now I'm like, it's, it's just very confronting. Like 200 like, years about. ago, yeah. Yeah, it's and so it's just like... So the way that you guys are feeling about it with like the passing of time and the roles and all those things, I don't feel any of that stuff. Mm. It's not about that for me. So that is so interesting to hear because that wouldn't, literally wouldn't have even fucking crossed my mind. Mm. Really? Wouldn't have even crossed my mind, no. The Mine stress, is such yeah. a different um, feeling of, it, it gives me a deeply introspective feeling about my choices and my life it's not about like familial roles or patterns or the even the passing of time mm -hmm. it's not even about that it's it's the mirror mm -hmm. yeah I no go, mine okay, is both yeah but that's what I'm saying it's like I I hear yeah. I hear that for sure but there is no element of it for me that is yeah. the other thing that you guys are experiencing so that must be really interesting to kind of have those two because like the mirror is enough on its own <laughs> also, it's kind of confusing because when I was little, I never, ever, ever once in my life thought I want to get married and have a baby. Never. I would get a wedding magazine every week at the grocery store, but it wasn't because I wanted to get married. It was because of the costumes. Yeah. I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to be She's performing. A <laughs> and so now at this time in my life, I look around and all my friends are on their second and third marriages with two, three, four kids. And I'm going, I don't feel I don't maybe I don't want that do I not want that and it seems like I need 20 more years to decide but I don't really yeah. have it yeah so I, I hate that, that feeling okay. I hate that so feeling <laughs> shouldn't, I, shouldn't <laughs> I know by now or am I just am, have I just not admitted to myself that I don't want children is that what it is it's very confusing yeah, it is. I mean, I'm getting that like slightly tight feeling when you're like, yeah, oh no, oh God, oh, we're having the conversation. Because the amount of people that have asked me since my sister got, uh, had a baby, way more than when she got married. Are you broody? And I have to say, uh, no. Uh, and I, all I think is like, well, I see some people slightly roll their eyes at me. I won't name names, but some people slightly roll their eyes because they think I'm trying to be a kook. They think I'm trying to be like, I don't want a baby. I am too fabulous for a baby. It's like, no, I, I just, I feel nothing but 
love for this baby. It doesn't make me feel that thing that people have told Mm. me you will feel, you will know. And it does make me question because I really don't know if I want to have children. I really would like to meet my children in a purely narcissistic way. And I know that I have no... So healthy. Like, love that you just said no that. Desire. I think that's so fucking healthy. I'd love to meet them. I'd love to know them. And I also think about like, I'd love to be like, you know, 50, 60 and be like, oh, my my son or my daughter's coming and this, you know, adult. Like, who are they? Are they going to be a doctor? Are they going to be, you know... Any, yeah. Are they going to be a doctor? Because then I'll have them. <laughs> <laughs> if they're going to be a bum on the street, don't even bother. Don't want. If they're going to be an artist. I don't know. Good God, fuck. They're no. going to be an actor. Don't. <laughs> going to be yeah. Oh no, it'll be hell. But I just don't know. And then I have conversations where people say to me, "Don't worry." you'll know. Don't worry. There'll come an age where your body's going to tell you. Now, first of all, I don't know if that happens. It hasn't happened to me yet. Second of all, I don't know that I want to listen to some hormonal rage that I might have for a year or even three years and make a permanent life decision (laughs) based on that hormonal rage. Like your body will let you know. I'm like, well, my body lets me know when I'm on my period that I want to eat four chocolate croissants. (laughs) I don't want to do that as a permanent decision. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, it's just so interesting that we that it's sort of just what's expected. I remember Ryan like and the I, vaccine, right? <laughs> <laughs> vaccine gate, same um, people. Okay, so, yeah. When, same you ha- when, when are you having kids? When are you getting the vaccine? I don't know, bitch. I've got one viable <laughs> ovary. I'll let you fucking know about both. I'll let you know when I get the the tingle. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> when I, <laughs> I uh, oh wow. God. Okay, I was gonna say something, but nothing's as good as that. So let's move on. Okay, well one, the list of two. things that I really wanted to discuss were mostly Real Housewives. You can quick fire me. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just interested. What's your favorite um, branch? Real Housewives? Of. <laughs> it's a show. She doesn't what? know anything. She knows nothing. Why are we talking about Real Housewives? Because we share a passion. You do? Yeah, and you need to get on that. Oh, journey. yeah. Speaking oh, yeah. of Lucy, weddings do. and wedding dresses and trains, we're going to get on the. Yeah. <laughs> Real yeah. Okay. <laughs> Do you know what? I have to say New York. Beverly Hills was my first. I then watched New York. I then did Salt Lake City. I then did uh, New Jersey. I adore New Jersey. They're all airing at the moment, which is really, really a wonderful time for me. It's um, such a nice time. <laughs> but I think New York... Why? Bring so much chaos. They are so it, chaotic. The energy is. I Sarah know. and yeah. I have to brace ourselves to watch it. Yeah, and also like I have, I don't know why my sister thinks it's the weirdest thing, because my sister thinks this character is our mum, and yet I have a deep affection for Luann from New York. I'm what do like, you love about Luann? I just think she's such a trier. I love that she's so. <laughs> so cringe and I just feel so bad for her when everyone's laughing at her like posing with her cabaret poster in Miami I'm like leave her alone she's so precious and harm like she is just harmless 
I just want the listeners to know that I do not. Um, <laughs> don't try and make no yourself better than us. No part of this conversation has to do don't with me. Don't try and make and yourself better than us. Doesn't I'm, make you better. It doesn't make you better. I'm just letting you know. I'm right not trying from, to be better. Yeah, I'm just trying to preserve yes, my brain yes, you cells. No, you're not. You're trying to be better. Come down. I am not trying to be down better. In, come down into the muck with us. <laughs> You're from work. It's so good. Don't it's pretend so you're not. good. My show was The Girls Next Door, okay? No one knows what that is. It's the yeah, Playboy Bunnies. It's oh, the Girls Playboy Next Bunnies. Oh, the girl next door. Yeah, yeah, great show, great show, great show. Okay. Luanne de la She was like a baroness for a minute, but then she she they got divorced, her and the baron, and then she was allowed to keep the t- title as a courtesy. The dumb bitch got married again. Lost Didn't the title. Last it didn't last, and she lost the title. Oof. That's and tragic, then got arrested. Luanne she Delesseps. did. Delesseps. Luanne yeah, Delesseps. Oh, sorry, Delesseps. Um, yeah, and also okay. she was a countess. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what other ridiculous questions do you have for Martin? Okay. Um, no, I'm showing you Luanne. This She's is Luanne. a hot mess. She is kind of fabulous. Marnie. Though. She says mm. she's a hot mess. She is, but why? Who Look cares? at that slit in her dress is all the way up to her it's vagina. cabaret, bitch. Oh, my God. Okay, but in terms housewife. of, other than, like, loving Luann, Erica Jane is my favorite on Beverly Hills, and Margaret Josephs is my current favorite, along with Dolores Catania on Real Housewives of New Jersey right now. Damn. Honestly, I'm kind of living for New Jersey um, at Love the moment. It. Honestly, Beverly Hills, whatever, don't care. I'm so bored by them. They're so boring and uptight and just, like, awful. So here's the cast. Tell us about your song, California. No, come on. I want you to do something <laughs> it about It was written about the culture. Real Housewives. <laughs> I want to hear... No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It really wasn't. I want to hear about your um, song, The song, California. California. Yes, I got her off the topic. Shall I go? So, you're so boring. Yeah, I want to hear about California. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, sing. I felt personally attacked by the song. By the way, what? Because you when tried, I heard but you it. could never leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I literally. <laughs> when it came out, I was like, "I'm actually angry at money. Like, I'm. I can't speak to her for a minute because I'm feeling actually kind of attacked by this." Were song you being now. serious that that's an ode to Hotel California? Well, I've always loved that idea of you know you can try but you'll never leave. So that is very much like a nod to that song and that line. Um, but I had it's a very romantic I wrote that concept, song. Isn't it? it is a very romantic concept, and I think it as is a very concept, much, as a concept, not as a reality. What LA or the song? Not being able to get out of somewhere, <laughs> not getting out of this fucking hellhole. Well, I found yeah, I wrote that song before I went to LA for like my first writing trip there, and I just kind of had a feeling. I was like, I feel like I could really get lost in this place I was going there at a time when I was like very open to getting lost somewhere Mm. and I just yeah I just it just felt like it felt like a pilgrimage you know in the way that people move there to chase their dreams and you're like what a strange place to have a bunch of people doing that so that was what that song was about in California there's a place I like to stay come to pray They all like shady like they got cocaine to move They think it keeps the crazy 
But then when I came home from LA, I, I had spent a week in Nashville by myself, didn't know anybody, had the worst time, then went Ate to LA. Pasta. Who goes to yeah. Nashville to eat pasta? Yeah, because during that time we were in our Airbnbs and all we did was eat individually each of us. You go to Nashville to eat barbecue. No, we ate it in our Airbnbs alone in bed. Yeah, that's so funny because I did an interview today and they were like, can you tell me about your latest song, Good Man, which there's a line in that about spaghetti. And I was going to be like, it's kind of because when I was in my Airbnb in Silver Lake, I bought like two kilos of spaghetti from Trader Joe's and like a kilo sauce of marinara sauce and just (laughs) ate that every single night and watched Mad Men. Um, But yeah, I'd been to Nashville and then I went to LA for like five weeks and I was quite sad to leave LA, but my God, I was so happy when I got home. Mm-hmm. And I realized like, yeah, it's not, I love it's LA. A really, um, it's, it's a it's really a fun place. place to visit, I think. But um, I unfortunately am marrying the only Brit that refuses to live in England. So I don't know how that happened, but I'm devastated. Well, I think it's a got, hard place. He's still got new, um, he's still like, I'll get him back. I'm already looking at properties in Scotland, so he doesn't really have a choice. Yeah, but also I think yeah. when you first come here, you're like, <gasps> and you've got this idea of it. I was so, I was so fucking like, well, mm-hmm. I was obsessed with the idea of living here. And and then over the years, the reality sinks in because it's, living in America is a really hard, it's a really hard place to live. And you don't realize until you fucking live here and you're not on holiday anymore. Mm. Even if you're here mm. for three months or six months of the year, you're here on holiday and you don't realize. I mean, I'm sure he's having a real lesson in that at the moment with how you guys are trying to get your lives set up because mm-hmm. they make it so hard yeah. for you. They make it so hard mm. for you. So I've got faith that your dreams will be answered. Me too. Thank you. I'm confident. Mm. Um, and then your other song, Good Man, just came out. last week baby congratulations i love that song i find myself singing it all the time um and so are you now releasing music on your own yeah so i got out of my deal with sony got all my rights back and fought them for 18 months to get those rights and get the rest of the advance that i was owed um which was a lesson in tenacity and just fighting and fighting and fighting but it took a long time and, you know, anyway, I got those rights back and then went away and made this EP and now I'm putting it out with an independent label called Lab and it's like a really easy deal in the artist's favour, you know, they're able to provide some infrastructure, you know, PR, that kind of thing, but it's it feels very much like a sort of DIY project and the irony is I had all of these songs and all of these ideas while I was signed to a major label but nothing ever happened with them so you know I'm glad to be putting them out because when I left my deal people were like oh and you probably hate all the songs you wrote while you were there because they're attached to this time and I was like no no I love all the songs I wrote (laughs) that's the gift that you walk away with is the songs that you got out of the situation so yeah so you everybody go buy Marnie's new music well, stream it. <laughs> don't buy it. Does don't buy it? Doesn't help. She needs well, stream. Listen, stream it. She I'm needs not, PayPal. You know I'm not guys. woke. I don't know. It's not about being woke. It's about woke. fucking understanding how Spotify works. Don't Which buy I don't. Her music. Stream it a lot. Share it. Does that give her yeah. money? Bump that algorithm. She doesn't want money. She needs. <laughs> no, I do want money. I really do. You want if the money? Is... Look, you can either 
PayPal Look, me. Just go Anna. fucking listen to her music, like, okay? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Is there going to be a video for Good Man? That's all I want to know. Yes, absolutely. When does there it drop? Are videos, not next week, I think the week after. And it's Ooh, a very. Exciting. It's a very fun video. It's weird because I thought California was... Good Man was never meant to be released as as the main single. The next song coming was meant to be released, but the next song is kind of like a much more up-tempo kind of like... It's not a dance song. That sounds so inappropriate, but it's like kind of weekendy and kind of has a groove. And it just felt mm-hmm. inappropriate to put out until, at least in the UK, people are going out and, you know, mm. partying. So I said, oh, why don't we switch it around and slot Goodman in? And it's, I would say it's had, at least among people messaging me, a better response than California, probably because California is something that maybe artists can relate to, but Goodman is a breakup song. And so everyone I loves think a breakup people song, have kind really of, do. yeah, but there is a video for it and it was made in LA and in Death Valley. So we got you at a really exciting time when all these new things are coming out. Yeah, it is exciting. It's weird. It's hard. It's like any of these things. You you sort of forget to feel it in the moment. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I've tried to do this for 10 years and now I am. Woohoo. <laughs> is it weird to be back on the, uh, like, back on your grind and, like, doing music again and, like, back in, like, artist mode? I think because of COVID, because I'm not, I'm not doing meetings I haven't mm-hmm. even met my label. I've met them on Zoom, you know. It's like, yeah. I think it would feel a lot different if I was going to shows or if I was going into, like, Spotify's offices. But at the moment, it still feels nice, which I think is actually a blessing as an artist who's been through this experience yeah. to be able to get back to being an artist in a sort of little cosy space for a while. Just a little soft, just a little soft entry. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm so happy that you joined us today it's been a pleasure getting to know you i'm so happy to meet you well when you know when the borders are open we'll get together and uh yeah i can't wait to give have you a, a drink hug. have a drink have a hug everyone go stream money's music on spotify apple wherever you get your music and also you can <laughs> listen to her she has a radio show on soho radio yes where she plays country yes, music amongst other things it's absolutely outstandingly curated what's your show called so the station is soho radio and one week i do soho rodeo which is like country americana and then every other week i do 21st century greats which is where i pick an album or sometimes an artist and a body of work from the last 21 years and say why that's a great because i kind of got sick of people only talking about music from before they were born as being great. When I listen to Mm. so much contemporary music, I love it. And I think music moves at a pace now where we're able to identify that's been really influential. And instead of waiting for people to die, let's just sort of pick out who the greats are now. So it's basically me just mainly it's meant to be sort of music criticism and it's me just going lord is so good oh my god oh she's so apparently good. she's gonna put a new album out this month during pride month this month i mean <gasps> can't that's wait that's the word on the street well that's wonderful i'm definitely going to be listening because i, I i've been craving that music education for that exact reason i'm like why do i only know of older bands before my time and think of those as the classics there's so much available today but it's kind of overwhelming because there's so much yeah 
that you yeah, just don't it is. know. I've, and if I if I try to go to like the top 40 or something, it's just horrifying. I just hate what I'm hearing. So I can't even approach yeah. it. So yeah. your show will be a perfect place for me to go. Make a bitch a playlist. Come on, let's yeah, go. Yeah, make then. me a playlist. And then maybe okay. we can like get her into some other things that we like. Oh, oh my God, I know how this is going to work. She can watch Okay. When we meet, it's going to be me on the couch and you two watching Housewife reruns. <laughs> uh, it's not going to be a rerun. It's going to be a new series for the rest of our lives. Binging Housewives. Don't frighten us. Ladies. Yeah. I love you both. Well, thank you so much, oh, guys, Annie, for No, honestly, thank you. And also, I want to say with Annabelle, everything you've been through, I'm going to start crying. But Oh, don't. <laughs> please do. We encourage that on this show. <laughs> After all of this, everything I've spoken about, and now this is the bit, it is so lovely to hear you. Oh, no. (laughs) It is, and it's so lovely being so far away from you, knowing that you have a friend who's... Oh, I'm crying. In it all, because it has been horrific, you know, but it's also been so nice not nice nice is the wrong word but it has been I've felt so glad to be able to hear you and hear you go through your process and hear you talk about things that you know I don't want you to have to relive the details of the day it happened and Mm. how you are you know all of that like you know I text you whatever but I it's so nice to be able to hear you talk as you would talk to a friend you know Mm. and not just like see a post on Instagram or sort of surmise things from texts here and there it's really nice and it's it is definitely so helpful to people but as your friend it is so lovely to hear you talk every week and hear you laugh and hear you cry and know that you have you know your little unit yeah. So, thank you yeah. for saying that. I love. I love voices. the show. I love the show so much. And thank you. Like Nova said, I'm kind of gutted that I'm gonna be, you know, <laughs> not getting <laughs> to a fresh to yourself episode this weekend. <laughs> oh, and I will. <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh, I'm a narcissist. So I'll definitely. Be I will be. Yes, yeah, I will be doing oh, that. It's been an honor to have you. We appreciate it so much, and you're. you're your story is really inspiring. It's really important that you just keep saying it out loud and sharing your light you have so much light you're just such a pleasure to talk to and you're such a powerful woman and I I can't wait to see where you go next oh you guys yeah it's a powerful glow the curry sweats are a powerful glow (laughs) but thank you (laughs) let's do our sign Um, off okay all right okay do I have to say I love you yeah yep she hates affection (laughs) and hugs and all kinds of things ready love love you Love you. Love you. Love you. <laughs> Somewhere down in Chelsea, madness came and helped me. Drugstores, hotels left me in therapy, in therapy. Looked for God without you. Found him, made me doubt you. About you, and I began to fall. I knew it from the start. You had a